When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Mind Love, episode 278. Today's episode is all about clearing hidden limiting beliefs at the core of your mind's psyche. We're here to evolve. We're not just physical animals. We are part animal, for sure. But we're also psychological beings, and we're also spiritual beings. We're divine beings. Uh, we're emotional creatures. That's that's part of this multidimensionality that we are. And any place in that system can get stuck can get blocked by an old belief or an old pattern, something that happens to us, traumas. You know, we split ourselves apart during a trauma so that we don't have to feel it. And so that's a part that gets left behind that can be recovered and bring ourselves back together into a whole self, which has all those dimensions, all functioning well, all functioning beautifully. It doesn't mean life isn't hard, but you're, but the attitude and the place you come from is a place of wholeness and compassion and love, the things that we all want and need. Turn up your frequency with Mind Love, bite-sized brain hacks for seekers, dreamers, and doers. It's time to give your mind a little love with your host, Melissa Monti. If this is your first time giving your mind a little love, don't forget to hit the subscribe button. Mind love is a habit, and the more you give your mind that love and intention, the better you'll feel about yourself and your life. Plus, it's really a win-win because more subscribers means mind love attracts even more amazing guests to bring you their wisdom. So don't forget to subscribe. Do you ever feel like you just can't make progress? Maybe you believe you're not meant for success or you're not meant to find your dream partner. Or no matter how many times you pay off your debt, you keep finding yourself in the same cycle of spending. Whatever that thing is that keeps you stuck, what if I told you that it's likely not an external problem? The root cause is actually a limiting belief. So what even is a limiting belief? Well, it's a thought or idea that we hold on to about ourselves or the world around us, usually at the subconscious level, that holds us back in some way. One of the most common types of limiting beliefs is the belief that you aren't good enough or that you're not capable of achieving certain things. If this sounds like you, you might doubt yourself and your abilities and then give up on your goals before you even try. Another big one is the belief that you're not worthy of love or success. When you don't feel like you deserve something, it can really get in the way of you actually going for it, which leads to talking yourself out of things, not going for them at all, or self-sabotaging a relationship because you may as well give them a reason to leave now if they're gonna do it eventually anyways. And you can identify some of these surface level limiting beliefs just by observing your negative self-talk. What's running through your mind when you're beating yourself up? or when you're talking yourself out of something. One of the best ways to break through your limiting beliefs is to start challenging them. But the problem is that the first step to challenging them is to become aware of them 
And some of these beliefs can be harder to spot because they're so deeply rooted in the subconscious. About a month ago, I worked with the guest that you're going to hear today to get past some of my limiting beliefs, and I uncovered several that I had no idea were even there. It was definitely an emotional session, and I left it feeling kind of raw more than I did empowered. But then guess what happened? In the last month, I've just felt like nothing has been holding me back. I've completely revamped Mind Loves membership, adding tons of value. I've launched a course I've been putting off all year long on how to organically grow a podcast, and I'm launching a new shop for Mind Love. And I'm not even telling you about all of the things that I'm up to. And consider the fact that I'm doing all of this between seven and eight months pregnant. (laughs) I haven't felt this motivated since about the first year in my business. And yes, the action that I'm taking feels so good, but the biggest difference is how I feel when I'm doing it. And I'm not sure I would have even noticed if it weren't for the comparison of knowing how this feels compared to how I felt last year. I didn't even realize that I was moving through my goals almost as if there was an anchor pulling behind me. I knew that my brain had a negativity bias, so I just kind of thought that all of my self-doubt was normal. And it partially is. But now there's just something different, like a weight has been lifted. And now when I feel those negative thoughts coming up, it's almost like I naturally reroute and start visualizing my success instead of having to put so much effort into it. And yes, I have worked on my limiting beliefs before, and I did when I first started Mind Love. And I really don't think that I would have followed through if I hadn't. And launching Mind Love was also one of the first personal goals that has been really sustainable for me. And I credit that to the work that I did before I even started. But what I've learned since is that the work can go deeper. Sometimes the beliefs are deeper. And that's the depth that I'm ready for. So if you are too, you are going to love this episode. Our guest is Lion Goodman. He's the founder and CEO of Clear Beliefs Institute. He has 40 years experience as an executive coach, teacher, and subconscious pattern detective. He's also the creator of the Clear Beliefs Method, a proprietary process for shifting beliefs at the core of the psyche, healing childhood wounds, and resolving trauma. Lion is the coach that I worked with last month, and as I shared, this really, really worked for me. So three key things you will learn are the unexpected ways we accumulate limiting beliefs all the way back to our time in the womb, how self-indoctrination leads us to false conclusions about ourselves and the world, and seven steps to overcoming limiting beliefs with the clearing beliefs process. And if this is your first time giving your mind a little love, I have a few goodies for you. First, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And second, sign up for the morning mind love. Think of it like a weekday oracle from your highest self to help you start each day with a positive focus. Plus, you'll get two gifts absolutely free, a 30-minute binaural meditation and 30 days of journaling prompts to help you remember who you truly are. So join over 9,000 people and go to mindlove.com to sign up or text the word morning to 33777. And now let's welcome Lion Goodman to the show. Thank you so much, Melissa. I'm so happy to be here with you. So what originally inspired your research or your journey into consciousness and spiritual healing? I think uh, 
the first thing that inspired me was the feeling when I was a kid that I was weird and different and I didn't fit in and I didn't really know how to make friends. And so I was alone a lot of my childhood, even though I had siblings and parents. Um, but I was kind of wandering around in, in the dark trying to figure out how to become normal like all those other kids. And uh, I'm, I'm proud to say that after 50 years of struggle, I never became normal. So that's <laughs> thankful. <Same. Lord>. So, <laughs> uh, uh, but what what happened was that kind of drove me into a particular direction, which was trying to understand myself. Like, what is it about me that's different, or that's broken, or that's a problem? I found out that I was wasn't broken and was never a problem. But that's also the good news that comes out of this search, this quest. Uh, so I ended up taking more than a hundred workshops and trainings in self-development, consciousness studies and philosophy and in science, everything I could learn about myself. Turns out that I was learning about the universal principles of all of us, deep psychology and how beliefs work and how beliefs drive us in, in our direction that we were going, how they filter our reality. So that became the thing I was most excited about because I wanted to know how to change and I found that the greatest leverage for change was belief change. And you had a pretty intense near-death experience as well. How did that affect your your path and the trajectory that you ended up on? Profoundly, <laughs> in, in a word. I had become a traveling salesman, even though I had gotten a degree in consciousness studies. Uh, nobody was hiring people with degrees in consciousness studies at the time. This was in the mid-70s. And uh, so I got a job as a traveling salesman. I was traveling around in a van and I would stop and help people on the road because I was a good Samaritan and you know liked people. And this one day I picked up a fellow whose car had broken down in the Mojave Desert. It was about 110 degrees out. And so I offered him a ride and he took the ride and I had this van and he was he brought his stuff into the van and we ended up traveling together for three days. And I grew to trust him and sent him on errands and you know gas up the van and like that while I was calling on stores. And uh, we'd camp out somewhere at night and we were out in the middle of uh, nowhere and near Claremont, uh, California. And I was in the back of the van, he was in the front of the van and suddenly there was an explosion. And I, I felt something hit me in the head and I looked up and there he was with a gun pointed at me from the front seat. And uh, my first reaction was, he's warning me he's gonna take my stuff. And at that point, I just said, it's all yours. <laughs> Because he could have left me naked outside in the desert and taken everything. And that would have been just fine at that moment. But then he shot again. And I realized that he wasn't warning me he was going to kill me. So at that point, I realized, okay, here I am, 26 years old, kind of lost and, you know, trying to make my way in the world. But it was obvious this was the end of the road because I couldn't defend myself. His hand was propped up. You know, there was no way I was going to get out of this. So I said, okay, well, if I'm going to die... How do I want to die? I certainly don't want to die with anger or frustration or upset. I want to die in peace. So I started praying and connected with source and felt this golden love light coming through me. And he shot again for a third time. And I, I wanted to clear the past. So I went through my history very quickly and forgave anyone that had ever hurt me and asked forgiveness from those I had hurt. And I was expanded in this space and time, this kind of multidimensional space. And yet there was still all this love light pouring through me and out, out of me and into him, including him. 
and he shot me for the fourth time. And the the first and the fourth bullets hit me. The t- other two missed me by fraction of it, fractions of an inch. Uh, and my head was thrown sideways, and all this blood was rushing down. And I was already out of my body at that at that time. I was like looking down at the van, and it looked like a little dollhouse with two people doing antics inside. You know, I thought that was amusing. But suddenly, I was back in my body, and I I I didn't know why, but there I was. But somehow, I felt intact. Um, and so I picked up my head and turned and look at look to look at him because I wanted to look my assassin in the eyes since I was going to die. And he freaked out. And he kind of jumped up and he said, why aren't you dead, man? You're supposed to be dead. And I said, well, here I am. I didn't know the answer to his question. Uh, And he said, it's too weird, man. It's just like my dream this morning. And I said, what dream? And he said, I dreamt I was shooting at this guy, but he wouldn't die. But it wasn't you. It was somebody else in the dream. And at this moment, I went, huh, who's writing this script? And how did I get into this movie? It's like, this was so weird, you know. Um, and so I realized if I could keep him talking, maybe I would, he wouldn't kill me. And that began an eight hour conversation. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> My mouth well. is just dropped open. Yeah. So you're, uh, ju- you're sitting there four bullet wounds to the head, just having a conversation. And now you're going to talk for another eight hours before you get medical help. Yeah. That's, that's what keep happened. going. <laughs> <laughs> so, how do I want to put this? Um, I was still in that love light, even though I was back in my body, my head was bleeding. I didn't know how badly I had been shot. I was kind of looking for a hole, you know, from the inside going, I ought to be able to see light from inside my brain, you know, but but I felt intact somehow. Um, and so I, I started talking to him very slowly and he was all adrenalated. He was jumping around going, why aren't you dead? You're supposed to be dead. I shot you four times. And uh, so I just used a very quiet voice and I stayed in the love light. I was just, he was included in this love that I was radiating. And eventually he kind of quieted down and we started talking and he came over and he looked at my head and he said, does it hurt? And I knew that he had shifted. You know, he went from being an assassin to someone who cared about me. And I said, well, yeah, it hurts, but I think I'm okay. And and at one point he said, okay, man, I'm going to take you to a hospital that I know. And I said, okay, I thought that was a good idea. <laughs> like, yes, please. Uh, so he kind of put stuff around me so I couldn't jump him, even though I was like not about to do that. And he got in the in front of the van and he started driving. And he drove for, I don't know how long, because I was completely out of time at this point. I was in this very strange space. Uh, and uh, I think it was about a half an hour to an hour, something like that. And then finally the van stopped and and the lights turned off and I knew we weren't near a hospital because there were no bright lights. It was very quiet. And so I just sat there and a couple of minutes later, he walked up to me and he sat down next to me with a gun kind of hanging out of his hand. And he said, I can't, I can't take you to the hospital, man. I have to shoot you. And I said, Oh, why is that? And he said, because if, if I take you to the hospital, uh, they'll put me back in jail. I can't go back to jail, man. And then I thought, Oh, not only is this a, crazy person with a gun. He's an ex-con with a gun. Like This is bigger than I thought it was. You know, it's like even crazier than I thought. So I said, well, maybe we don't have to, you know, I, I won't turn you in. He said, no, I can't trust you. That began a long conversation. And at one point he, uh, I said, I, I need to get up and move because I was in this crouch position. So he pointed, we got out of the van, he pointed down toward a pond uh, about 20 feet lower than the road and 
So he pointed me to walk down in front of him. And so I walked down and he had the gun behind me and I knew he could just shoot me in the back and push me into the water, but somehow I felt invincible. And so I reached down and I washed some of the blood off my face and my head and my, and I turned and stood and looked at him and uh, he, he looked at me funny and he kind of held the gun out to me. And he said, what would you do if I gave you this gun? And I said, I'd throw it out in the water there. And he looked at me and he said, you wouldn't try to kill me. You wouldn't shoot me. I said, no, why would I do that? You have your life. I have my life. We're okay. And he had a really curious look on his face. And he said, man, you are the weirdest person I've ever met. And I, I, I said to him, I'm probably the weirdest person you'll ever meet. Right? So, <laughs> so that weirdness that I felt as a kid, you know, actually helped me survive. Um, so we ended up talking more. I got his story, his backstory. Why did he do, decide to do it? When he decided to do it? And, and all that's written up in my, in my story, which has been widely published. And a movie has been made based on my on that script. But I knew that we had both been transformed. He was as transformed as I was because I didn't react with anger. I didn't react with violence. I reacted with love. And that's what saved my life. That is incredible. I didn't expect to laugh so often in a shot in the head story, <laughs> if I'm being honest. <laughs> but... And please tell me you guys are still Facebook friends. What happened to this guy no, now? No, <laughs> Just <not>. kidding. <laughs> I have not seen him since. That's the, the answer to that. We're all here just trying to live our best lives, right? And while you're here listening to a podcast, you might feel like you're on the right track, but then you visit family or you have a work deadline or something unexpected comes up and you're all stressed out and it feels like all the work is out the window. That's why it's so important to consciously curate what you can control, like who you surround yourself with, what you watch, what you listen to. So I'm going to add another podcast to your toolbox, The Dr. John Deloney Show. He has a PhD in counseling and has been sitting with hurting people for 20 years. He shares practical advice for everything from how to connect with people, how to face depression, overcome anxiety, and learn just what it means to be well. But what's really cool about his show is you can even leave a voicemail or send an email and he'll address your topic or question about mental or emotional help on the show. So no matter what you're going through, the Dr. John Deloney show is here for you. Listen to the Dr. John Deloney show wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link on the website. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I really need to get something off my chest. Being a mom of a three-year-old boy is really freaking hard and sometimes it has me questioning my sanity. But then he'll grab my face and call me his sweet little mama. Yes, that's a real thing he says. <laughs> and it will all melt away until I break his banana. I thought I was done with emotionally abusive relationships, but nope. We all carry around stressors, big and small. And when we keep them all bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. For me, just talking things through is hugely helpful, but it's so hard finding friends and family that are unbiased or non-judgmental. And therapy isn't just about dealing with major trauma, you know? It's about learning healthy coping mechanisms, setting boundaries, becoming the best version of yourself. And BetterHelp makes it super convenient, too. Everything's done online so you can fit therapy sessions around your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash MindLove today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash MindLove.
So did he end up going to jail or did you guys just part ways and <laughs> call well, it a day? Well, while we were trying to figure it out, you know, what, how can we both get out of the situation? Cause he wanted, he didn't want to kill me. He wanted out as badly as I did. And so we were negotiating for a couple of hours trying to figure out how to do it. And we, I finally said, look, the only way this is going to work is if I don't turn you in and you promise to never do anything like that again. And if you can make that promise, we can let each other go. And he thought about it for a minute and he said, okay. So we drove to a place that he knew. He got out of the van with all his stuff. I drove myself to the hospital and, uh, and the emergency room doc said, uh, well, two bullets bounced off your skull. He said, you're, you're a lucky man. And I said, yeah, I know. But I knew I was actually a blessed man. I wasn't just lucky. So um, he went his way, I went mine. And the rest, uh, then I started putting my life back together. And you asked at the beginning, you know, how, how did that impact me? Well, it, since I was out of body, I, the, the, the thing I knew most clearly was that I was not my body. And the second thing is I wanted to understand why he did that to a perfectly nice guy like me, you know? Uh, and, and that I dove even further into the subjects I studied in college, which was psychology, developmental psychology, neurophysiology, the brain, uh, philosophy, linguistics. It's like, I wanted to learn everything about what makes us human. Why are we the way we are? And eventually I found my way to understand that beliefs are the infrastructure of the human mind and they're what we construct our reality from. We construct our perceptions and our, our, our reactions and our responses to the world based on what we believe. And that, that's called by many names by other people, paradigms, maps of meaning. Uh, it's the meaning-making part of the mind. But I find beliefs being the easiest way to talk about them. It's what we make the world out of. And that's part of our natural process of putting together a mind with patterns that we can identify and then hold on to because they will help us survive in the future. I wonder how much of your response to that man was your past experience of consciousness, soul searching, and how much of it was divine inspiration because of your sort of connection to source. How would one tell the difference? <laughs> well, I mean, when you really go deep, if you consider time isn't linear, they're both happening at the same time. And it was all just that energy was meant for you. Yeah. I've looked at it probably every possible way you could look at. I had been studying myself, even in college. I had great teachers who were inviting me to look at myself no matter what I was studying. Uh, if I'm studying biology, I'm studying my own biology. If I'm studying psychology, I'm studying my own psychology. So in, in spirituality, I was a kind of spiritual freak. So I was trying everything that came through town. I was in Boulder. So that was a lot. So, uh, uh, so yeah, I was an explorer and I was, I had experimented with drugs and with meditation and with yoga and all kinds of things. So I was, and I also studied death and dying. I mean, that was one of the topics when you're in spirituality, you sort of look at death. And I understood the process. It didn't scare me to die. I was surprised that I was going to die at the age of 26 instead of as an old man. But but the prospect didn't really frighten me. And so when I was out of body and looking down, that space that I was in was like, oh, yeah, I've done, I've done this lots of times before. And so it's no big deal. You know, it's just another doorway through to the other to the next place. So that your past beliefs or your your beliefs at that time shaped the way that you were able to respond to that situation and 
I would say dramatically changed the outcome compared to what would have happened to somebody else or seems like he that wasn't his first time doing something like that and he seemed surprised by the outcome so it was obviously not the norm and so you say that talk about how beliefs are what we create our reality from and we've talked about beliefs a good amount on this show but I always like to get it these responses from different perspectives because I feel like we each have our own unique kind of dimension of understanding of things and so when when we talk about beliefs where do you see them as primarily coming from and what are these beliefs actually this is my primary study for the past 40 years and uh, most people when they talk about beliefs they're talking about a mental construct they're talking about uh, well i believe in santa claus or i don't believe in santa claus i believe in god or i don't believe in god it's a it's associated with faith in a way or with a, a thought that keeps repeating itself over and over again. That's a mental approach to beliefs. Uh, I, I see that our beliefs come out of our experience. And experience is multidimensional. Right now you're seeing, hearing and smelling and feeling and sensing and sensing me and energetically and we're looking at each other's eyes and we're, you know, we're getting to seeing something beyond the physical, right? So our experience is multidimensional. And if our beliefs come out of our experience, then beliefs must be multidimensional. And most approaches to belief change are one-dimensional or two-dimensional at most. So uh, you might try a mental technique like, well, I'm just going to change my mind. I'm going to change what I believe. Or I'm going to say affirmations over and over again, and eventually that will take. Or I'm going to emotionally emote and beat a pillow and express myself emotionally. Or I'm going to tap on my points on my body and say something and that will change my energy. Now, all those things are true, but they don't get to the infrastructural level, which is multidimensional. So beliefs are physical, intellectual, emotional, spiritual, relational, environmental, energetic, uh, philosophical. Right? So, so in order, to, what I discovered, and this was, I think, my breakthrough, was that if beliefs are multidimensional structures, then to clear a belief, you have to clear it multidimensionally because otherwise a good chunk of it is left over and it'll keep coming back over and over and over and over again. And that's what most people experience with belief change work is that it just keeps coming back and you have to do the process over and over and over. And what I found is a way to do multidimensional clearing, which makes it go away completely and permanently and it never comes back. And that's what makes my work different. So what are they? They are, they are how the mind is structured, uh, because even babies are are looking at patterns, they're pattern detectors, and then they're holding on to those patterns because that pattern will be useful later. So if this face comes close, I feel warm and cuddly and and I get nurtured. If that face comes close, I feel cold and prickly, and it's uncomfortable. So babies, even even in the, inside the womb, they're actually picking up patterns from the mother's energy and the mother's hormones, the mother's diet, right? Um, and so those patterns are, are fixed. They become fixed. They're the things we start building our mind and our awareness out of. And then we keep adding new patterns and new patterns and new patterns. Eventually, we get words in the, around age two. And, and then we start putting the world together with words. Now we have abstractions of experiences but that's just part of our experience. 
that we're building so that we can survive. And then we inherit beliefs from our parents because their parents gave them those beliefs so they could survive. They want us to survive, so they give us their beliefs. And we eagerly take them on because babies know that they can't survive on their own. So they they take on the beliefs of their parents because that will align them with their parents. If you are like someone, they will like you more. So when we take on their beliefs, we are more liked, more likable, and then they won't throw us out to the wolves. So this is deep instinctual mind building that's going on. And it goes on and on and on. The problem is, is that the old beliefs that were useful at one time don't just disappear when you get a new belief. They get pushed down into the subconscious mind and pile up as this huge pile of thousands and thousands of beliefs that were useful at one time, but are no, but are now interfering with your life. It's interesting because I had the experience of, yes, aligning to my parents' beliefs and then teenagerhood, teenagehood, teenage years, what do you call that, happened and... I just rebelled. I went the other way, religiously, politically, whatever. But it wasn't until I was older that I realized, yeah, these surface level beliefs, like like the sort of faith in the system or whatever that you were talked about earlier. Yes, those I was consciously able to move away from. But the older I get, and especially now that I have children and I am just seeing my own patterns, it's like the age mid thirties when people start saying, like, I'm becoming my mother. Oh no. You know? <laughs> it's like uh I have done a lot of work to rewire different patterns. And so I didn't expect that they'd still pop up the, the way that they do. But I can now, it's like I've I've removed like layers one, two, three, but then it's these little things like all of a sudden I'll resist something or I'll just, I'll just notice a pattern in my life and I'm like, what is this coming from? Clearly my beliefs, you know, but it's the more subtle really underlying subconscious patterns that I notice I couldn't so easily just choose to rewire. Yeah, I'll give you a great story that, that I love. One of my clients was a multimillionaire and he had a pattern in his life where he was, he'd was he make millions of dollars, then he'd lose millions of dollars. Then he'd make millions, lose millions. It happened over and over again. He was tired of it. And so he came to me and he said, figure this out. What's What's going on? And so using my processes, I took him back in time earlier and earlier and earlier following particular pattern. And he got to the place where he remembered being three years old, walking on the streets of New York with his mother holding her hand. And he saw a shiny penny on the ground and he got really excited and he reached down to pick it up. And his mother jerked his hand and said, don't touch that, it's dirty. And he suddenly realized that that old belief was driving his whole life, that he couldn't hold on to his money because he shouldn't touch it and it was dirty. Wow. That's how deep it goes. And we cleared it and he didn't have to lose money anymore. So he continued to grow his millions. So that's the kind of thing that we don't know the source of, but it's back there somewhere. Every belief we got somehow, somewhere from someone or from our own conclusion based on what was happening to us. So these are very deep patterns. And that's, you know, you're kind of deep diving into the the muck and mire of the subconscious mind to find the source. But then if you can clear it at the source, then everything else changes. It's like, a, you know, dropping a rock in a pond as it ripples, it ripples out. So our, when you change at that identity level, who I am or what I am, uh, it changes how I see the world. It changes how I feel about myself. It changes my thoughts, my feelings, my actions, and my choices. So what types of things do these 
deep-rooted subconscious beliefs affect or what are they the determining factors in our lives? Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. So what types of things do these deep-rooted subconscious beliefs affect, or what are they the determining factors in our lives? Well, the first response I had was almost everything. (laughs) So um, uh, the hardest beliefs for people to live with are the ones where they either were told or came to the conclusion that there was something deeply flawed in them, wrong with them, bad about them. Those are the negative self-beliefs that that are like a, a heavy cloak that they have to operate in the world through. You know, you should be ashamed of yourself. Oh, I should be ashamed of myself. Okay, that means that I'm 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 so flawed or broken that I'll never be fixable. That's what shame is, is that belief. And if your parent told it to you and you aligned with it, or you came to the conclusion, uh, I'm being beaten regularly, that means there must be something so wrong with me that I deserve to be beaten. Children will blame themselves for almost anything that happens to them uh, because you can't say a child doesn't look at the parents and go, wow, they are really screwed up. They should have gotten a parenting one-on-one course. They should have been in therapy for 20 years before they had a kid. They need some help. (laughs) So kids can't do that. So they just assume that it's something about them that is what the problem is. I'm being abandoned. There must be something wrong with me. I must be flawed. I'm being rejected. There must be something wrong with me. I must be bad. They're punishing me. I must have done something really bad. I must be a bad person. So those are the beliefs that get under our skin that are actually the core of our personality. No matter how much you do on top of that, go to therapy, you know, take workshops, do trainings, um, you know, do affirmations, do all the things that we think will help. That core belief is still there producing the experience that it was designed to produce, which was shame or guilt or, or you know, or, or disempowerment. So we have to go down and excavate them from the underground and pull them up into the consciousness and then process them so that once that belief can be processed fully, it gets integrated, the lesson gets learned, we, it's no longer active, we can actually clear it from the psyche completely. A lot of times when we're discussing where the beliefs come from, we talk about ways that we're indoctrinated, socialized, we take a lot from what we see from the people around us, from our parents, from our society. But it, it sounds like what's can be even more powerful are the ways that we self-indoctrinate by the meaning that we give to everyday experiences. That's absolutely true. And uh, since you talked about meaning making, we could say that the human brain is a meaning making machine. Uh, we want to understand the world. So we put things together and say, oh, that is a cat. Well, that's a belief that that animal, which is extraordinary all by itself, 
has a label that we can put on it. And we say that is a cat. And when we say cat point, mommy says, yes, that's good. That's a cat. Cat goes meow. So, so we're putting together the world, our world frame, you know, what it's made of. Now, the problem is as soon as you have a label on something, you're no longer experiencing it. So instead of seeing the cat as an extraordinary being, unless you're quite stoned, <laughs> which is when these things fall apart. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, you know, you just go, oh, it's a cat. And you stop seeing it fully. And we, we see a friend and we go, oh, yeah, that's a friend I don't like. Oh, now you're not seeing their fullness as a human being. So the labels are just a form of beliefs that we put on things in order to abstract and talk about them when they're not there. You know, early early people basically had could hold things in their hands and carry them around. But as soon as we could abstract and say, you know, fire, where fire, <laughs> fire there, you know, it's like, so we now have a way of talking about things that aren't there. That's the beginning of, of language and labels. It's very useful. Language is a useful construct, but it prevents us from experiencing the world fully because we're in the mental label mind not the experiential mind. I have noticed that actually. There's been times in my life where I have some sort of conflict with somebody. And especially the longer I go without seeing that person, you know, it could be your mom or your cousin or whatever. You're like, have this sort of tiff. And then you just see their posts online. And I've said to my husband before, I'm like, I just need some face to face time with this person mm -hmm. because I can feel myself turning them into a one-dimensional character. And Bingo. the more that they're a one-dimensional character, it dehumanizes them and it's easier to just other them. And whenever I know that I'm othering somebody or when I sense that I'm othering somebody, I it's my trigger that, you know, all I'm doing is actually othering myself and and choosing separation in this moment. And so I like the way that you put that because it is true that we, in order to create that meaning, we flatten our reality. Beautifully said. And this othering instinct is actually quite old. And if you look at monkey and ape troops, they're very cooperative and collaborative inside the troop. They're caring for each other, taking care of each other. Sometimes they can fight, but it's all about being in the troop. Because if you're part of the troop, you can survive as a social animal. If you're pushed out, you're going to get dead soon, right? Because a monkey or an ape can't survive on its own. So belonging is one of our deepest instincts. Uh, so we want to belong to the troop we're born into, which is the mother, father, alpha, male and female. And then we find groups to belong to. And but also troops fight with each other for resources. So there's the other troop of monkeys across the way. And we do battle for the fruit in this particular tree. And then they'll come and raid us and we'll go and raid them. And you know, so so we other in order to be part of the group. And that other becomes the enemy. And so we've created a whole world in which we're all mixed together, but we're still doing the same pattern, which is to see other people as not, uh, not me, not us, not my group, not my troop. I need to stay with my troop to survive. And I need to make sure we kill those other people because they're competing with us for resources. So this is a deep part of why, we're, why we war and why we fight and why we get polarized political views, because it's easier when, when you make someone other then you know who you belong to. You know that you're the group that is not them, right? So you feel more like you belong. And that's such a deep instinct that, that it drives a, our behavior like crazy. I was having a conversation with somebody like a month and a half ago and about 
similar instincts, but a different primal instinct. And, and this person was just like, well, if these are primal instincts, then why are we fighting them so much? It's our nature, you know, like, is it really bad if that's also what the apes do, you know? And, and my response though, was that I'm not trying to live with my primal instincts. My whole goal in this life is to evolve and to ascend. And that's why our brains got bigger. And that's why we have these emotional capacities that basic animals don't have. And so I'm like, if you want to go just like claw at people for food, go for it. But <laughs> I'm trying to like connect to source and my intuition and, and really see what's possible. And that's, I think, for me, the human experience is the ability to sort of navigate that and go above and beyond. And uh, it reminds me too, somebody said, it's always these wealthy woo-woo people <laughs> that seem to get the most from these like really big experiences, consciousness experiences. This is in LA and I agree with that. And sometimes I'll have resistance of it. I'm like, oh, is this just another little rich kid that like <laughs> thinks he's found the light? But there's something to be said for a population that is no longer in survival mode than what can happen. And I'm not saying that like the wealthy are more spiritually evolved or have it all together because I know plenty who don't. But there's something to be said for what is possible once all of your basic primal needs are already met. Because when we are in that place of survival, we're only using that one part of our brain, everything else gets shut off. So I just know that when I'm worried or when I'm in fear, when I'm worried or when I'm in fear, I can't think above the line. You know, I can't, I can't reach out and, and ask, well, what else is possible? It's, it's hard. I've got to sort of meet those primal needs first and then I'm able to elevate and then I'm able to come up with new ideas and then I'm able to sort of more change my situation rather than just feeding the need or scratching the itch. Beautifully said. And you're talking about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? First are the physiological needs, food, water, shelter, warmth, right? And then come the, the needs of uh, of safety. We need psychological safety, emotional safety, physical safety, financial safety. You know, those are things that we need in order to elevate up to the self-esteem needs. Who am I? Am I liked? Am I, am I appreciated? Am I seen as someone of value? And can I have love and can I have relationships? It's hard to get there if you're down trying to get your physiological needs taken care of, or if you don't feel safe. And then when you get your esteem and relationship needs, then you can do your intellectual needs like curiosity and, and growth. And then eventually what he calls self-actualization, which is essentially spiritual needs and even transcendent needs that you can then fulfill. And we are on this path. We are on this evolutionary path, as you said brilliantly, by the way, uh, that, that we're here to evolve. We're not just physical animals. We are part animal for sure, but we're also psychological beings and we're also spiritual beings we're divine beings. Uh, we're emotional creatures. That's that's part of this multidimensionality that we are. And any place in that system can get stuck, can get blocked by an old belief or an old pattern, something that happens to us, traumas. You know, we split ourselves away apart during a trauma so that we don't have to feel it. And so that's a part that gets left behind that can be recovered you know, the, the uh, Amazon people call it soul retrieval, right? So we, and it's the same kind of work I do in, in this healing process with beliefs as we go and recover 
the parts of ourselves that we left got left behind and bring ourselves back together into a whole self, a true self, which has all those dimensions, all functioning well, all functioning beautiful, beautifully. It doesn't mean life isn't hard. Life can be hard, but you're, but the attitude and the place that you stand, the place you come from is a place of wholeness and compassion and love, the things that we all want and need. So how do we determine which beliefs are affecting us currently? Because like you said, with that story in the penny, first, I it seems like you need to notice the pattern. Do you need to see the pattern that's that's going up and down? Because some people don't even have the awareness to see which patterns keep coming up in their life. They just know that they can't find a relationship and they don't see that they're attracting the same type of relationship over and over again. So how do you start to get clarity on what needs to be worked on? I teach 10 different methods of finding core beliefs because everybody's a little bit different. We need to have a bunch of tools to be able to you know, work with whatever shows up. But finding core beliefs is one of the key ways that we can do that, like going deeper and deeper and deeper levels. Uh, one of the easiest ways to do that is to ask the question, what's underneath that? So someone says, I, I, I just can't sustain a relationship. And you ask, what's underneath that? Well, it's that I, I, I'm only finding guys that are that are bastards. <laughs> oh, what's underneath that? Well, that seems to be all that, that there are out there. All the good men are taken. What's underneath that? Well, I'm, I'm just not finding them. What's underneath that? A lot of sadness and grief. What's underneath that? It's this feeling of loneliness I have inside. What's underneath that? And you keep going down and down and down to deeper levels. And at the bottom is usually some belief. Uh, so that's one of the 12 techniques I teach for finding core beliefs is just asking that question over and over again. And we train people to, to do this kind of work is first to find the belief and bring it up from the unconscious mind. Uh, in my eBooks, I offer this process called belief self-diagnosis, which is a way of bringing those subconscious beliefs out to the surface. So you can at least look at them and, and recognize that that's what's running you. Uh, and that's that's I give that away because it's it's such a powerful exercise. So there's lots of ways. Um, some of them you can do yourself, and some of them, frankly, are too deep for you, and you need to go to someone who can help find it and excavate it. Because on top of the belief are all kinds of adaptive strategies to hide it from yourself, because you don't want to look at it. Because if you looked at it, it might be too painful. So we make sure that we distract ourselves or procrastinate or we do stuff to keep it hidden instead of being able to confront it. It takes a lot of courage to confront your negative beliefs. I like that you brought that up. I was just interviewing someone on projections and I remember one of the first, you know, in the beginning of your spiritual journey, there's certain things that you see that you'll just never or read, you never forget because it, it's, it's so paradigm shifting. And I remember I just came across this YouTube video titled Athene's The Theory of Everything. And it talked about how our brain is basically lying to us all the time because we make these irrational decisions and we don't like to believe that we're irrational. So before we even have time to consciously bring attention to, well, why do we just snap at our partner for no reason? We're pulling out reasons. And it's like, well, he did this. He didn't empty the dishwasher, blah, blah, blah. And so then in the fight, <laughs> you'll go from one annoyance to all of a sudden you've come up with all of these reasons to back up what you just did when there was no real reason that was about that person in the beginning. It was about you. And so that's so important to note. I'm constantly reminding myself that because 
so often we're justifying our decisions or justifying why we're doing something and all we're doing is we're cementing in these beliefs without even knowing it because we aren't just instead asking ourselves what's underneath that. We have to understand the physiology of the brain. Those kinds of reactions happen in hundredths of a second. Uh, I'll give you a great story. I was uh, going to a party one night and I knew there was going to be a great party. A lot of people I knew. And as soon as I walked in the door, I felt weird. I couldn't explain it. It just like, ah, just awful feeling throughout my whole body. And I knew something had triggered me. I didn't know what it was. It didn't matter. But I knew also what to do. So I sat down right near the front door and closed my eyes. And I felt the feeling. Because you have to start with the feel, felt sense of the feeling, feeling the body sensations. And I felt it and felt it and felt it until I really was in it. And then I asked the question, what belief are you? And immediately I heard, I don't belong here. And I went, aha, there's that old belief that I thought I had cleared, but it got triggered somehow. Now, what do I do? Well, I have a technology for clearing the belief and replacing it with a better belief. So I cleared the belief, I don't belong here, replaced it with a belief, I belong here. Opened my eyes, stood up, and it was a completely different party. Instead of people seeming cold and distant, they are all friendly and warm. Hey, lion, come on over, let's talk. And so that took about 20 seconds. So we get triggered. I didn't know what had triggered me. Maybe there was someone's face that I glanced at momentarily. Maybe someone's, maybe a smell that had triggered me. Maybe it was Someone, you know, brushing their hair in a certain way that reminded me of my mother. I don't know. And it didn't matter. What mattered is, is that I faced into the trigger, felt it, and then inquired into it, which then allowed me to see, oh, yeah, it's just a trigger. It's not serious. It's not real. It's, a, you know, it's just a reaction. That's what's so important about being in tune with your body, because that that's how I dealt with my trauma was basically cutting off feeling of my body. I ended up developing an eating disorder and all of these other negative patterns that just cut me off from feeling. And so a huge part of my journey or my self-development or really self-discovery was actually reconnecting and being able to feel instead of just reaching for something that would numb it immediately. And so those feelings and being aware of, oh, I'm feeling something, whereas most people, or at least my past self, I would be just acting on that feeling. You know, I'd be like snappy or I'd want to leave or I'd, I would just judge the people around me or whatever it is. And then it's about them. It's not about me. There's nothing to introspect. And so being able to have the courage to actually feel those feelings can be such an indicator of some of these beliefs that you can then make a choice about instead of having them subconsciously drive your life. And also that space that you created for yourself of actually asking a question, because so often we're like, I don't know why I'm this way. It's like, have you ever actually just sat there long enough to ask and see what came to you and trusted that you have an inner wisdom that might give you an answer? And so I am curious, that feeling was helpful to sort of diagnose this underlying belief for you, but what's the overall relationship between thoughts, feelings, emotions, and beliefs? You ask really good questions. I see consciousness as kind of a clustered crystal. You know, you get one of those quartz crystals, and if you look at it from one direction, it looks a certain way. And if you turn it 45 degrees, it looks completely different. 
And if you turn it another 45 degrees in another direction, it looks completely different from the top versus the bottom and the left versus the right. So it's a complex crystal that can be seen from many different angles. To me, because I see beliefs as the multidimensional infrastructure of the mind, we could look at that crystal through the thought view, through the particular view that says everything starts with thoughts. And you turn it and now you're looking at it through the emotional view and you say, oh, everything starts with emotions. Or you turn it to the spiritual view and say, oh, everything starts with your karma or, or, your, you know, or your spiritual self. Um, but these are all aspects of human experience. And so I look at it wholly and say, this is a multidimensional thing going on that every belief is associated, creates certain thoughts, it creates certain feelings, certain sensations, certain emotions, certain choices, certain behaviors, certain actions. And you could do that with whatever way you look at it. But when you see it as a whole thing, they're not causal. One doesn't cause the other. One isn't first. They're all happening at once. It's a harder way to look at experience, but it's... For me, it's what works best because instead of trying to track down well, which happened first, the thought or the emotion, it's like, oh, yeah, this is human experience. It's filled with all of that. Let's find the core material. Let's find the causal level. And for me, the causal level is down there in the meaning-making belief structure of the subconscious mind. And it's primitive. It's very, very, uh, very old. <laughs> I'll put it that way. So we figured out how to sort of self-diagnose, uncover some of these beliefs for ourselves. What is the first step to actually beginning to clear some of them? Well, as you know, there's many ways and offers of how to clear things. Uh, in my technology, the clear beliefs method, um, we take a multidimensional approach. We find whatever the surface issue is. And then we work our way down to the belief layer. And that might take 15, 20 minutes, maybe a half an hour in some cases. Um, sometimes it's obvious. Sometimes it's you have to dig. You know, I call it excavating because <laughs> that's what it's like. You get in the backhoe and you, you start clearing the, the, you know, the major pieces of, of dirt in order to find the gems. The gem underground somewhere. And once we find the gem, then we have a number of processes for clearing them. Uh, one of those processes is called the belief closet process. It's actually where I got started 20 years ago when this process kind of came to me when I asked for help. And it came to me and said, boom, it was like, all, oh, it happened all at once. And I said, wow, that's pretty cool. I bet that'll work. And I, it's, it worked great. I started teaching it to other people. Um, so <clears throat> that's just one of the, of the more than a dozen processes that I teach that are able to actually clear it multidimensionally. Because you can keep chipping away, uh, you know, if you have an iceberg and you've got a spoon, you can you know, try to dig your way down the iceberg to get to what's underneath. Or you can just put on scuba gear and go down and find out what's, you know, what's at the bottom. And so that's what we do. We're, we're deep divers. We go and find that material. And then we have a number of different processes to change it, uh, one of which is called uh, rescuing the inner child. So when you have a trauma as a child, what happens is, is that that part of you gets stuck in that experience. Now, other parts of you keep going and growing, but that there's still a child experiencing that trauma in the mind, in the mind's memory banks, right? So we actually take people back into time and change what happened for that child. We actually rescue the child from that situation. And now that child self has a new different experience. Something else happened 
that bad thing didn't happen. Something else happened. Someone came in and intervened. Someone rescued me. Someone took me out and took care of me at that moment. And memory is malleable. So when we go back and we change memory, that child is no longer in that situation. They're now living a different life in a different place. And so that process shifts everything because that child's no longer in trauma, no longer carrying the trauma, no longer living in it because that child was stuck there at that time in that experience. We clear that out of the way. All of a sudden, the person comes out of the process and they're a different person. Their identity is different. They've been, their, their history has changed. So we're using the, the, this understanding that memory is malleable. In psychology, it's called memory reconsolidation. There's a name for it in psychology. And there's research being done to show that you can change memory. Now, five people having the same experience are going to m- remember it five different ways. So there's no truth about what happened. There's just our interpretation of it. And our interpretation of what happened is where the belief layer comes in. And that's the most, that's the place where we actually have leverage. That makes a lot of sense because it's not about the objective reality of what happened for any of us. That's, that is what we carry. It's that meaning that we give it. And so that's happening regardless of if you're consciously or subconsciously going in and, and trying to sort of remake some of these memories or the, your childhood experiences. I have two stepbrothers and there are things that we both experienced that I'm like, were you in the room? Like, where did that come from? Nothing like that happened that day. And they're like, I swear. And they have different versions of it. And I'm like, so yeah, it's not the way that we perceive an experience, even in the moment, depends on those beliefs that we're holding and the emotions that we're feeling and the thoughts that we're having as it is. And so nothing's objective. (laughs) That that is uh, objectively true. <laughs> <laughs> that that's the only one thing. <laughs> so I love leaving listeners with something that they can really do themselves to feel the change of what they've learned in this episode. So do you have a practice that you could walk us through that they can work on this week to kind of ground this information into their reality? I do. That one of my favorite things is to show how our beliefs create feelings because. A lot of people don't have those two connected. So here's what I invite you and your listeners to do. Close your eyes and feel what it feels like to hold the belief there's something wrong with me. As if it's 100% true, even though another part of you knows there isn't. Just see what it feels like. It's like trying on clothes at a store and saying, ooh, this feels icky. I'm not going to buy this. So feel what it feels like to hold that belief. Say it to yourself. There's something wrong with me. And feel it in your body. Feel what happens to your body. It's urges, it's sensations. And Melissa, what is that feeling that you're having? I felt three things. First of all, I have random back soreness just from being pregnant. And immediately those felt more intense. Mm -hmm. I had to straighten up actually because I could feel this like stabbing there. I also felt my throat close. And then I felt like the barriers of my skin, I could just feel it more. And I, in my mind, I immediately uh, sort of interpreted that as my, like it was like reinforcing my separateness. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Other people have other experiences. Some people feel this heaviness or denseness or condensed or sometimes the feeling of like wanting to run away. So everybody has a slightly different feeling that that belief creates. So imagine that that was an outfit of clothing you tried on, you went, ugh took it off, threw it, to, threw it on the floor, 
and just let it go. Good. And now try on a different belief. Try on the belief, I am a sacred and worthy being. And feel what it feels like to hold that belief as if it's 100% true. And what does that feel like? I could almost feel myself elevating, like my posture naturally got straighter. I uh, felt lighter. And for some reason, I felt like the top of my scalp tingling. Lovely. Lovely. And again, everybody will experience it somewhat differently, but the general pattern is elevation, lightness, openness, that kind of thing. So what we've just shown, and by the way, you can take that one off or you can leave it on if you like it. That's, I'm going to leave it on. <laughs> <laughs> so this is one of the ways we show people that our beliefs create our feelings. Now, it turns out that as I talked about that uh, party story, is you can also work backwards and go from the feeling to the belief. So if you're having a feeling, you can ask what belief is creating this feeling. Or you can try on different beliefs. In fact, I recommend trying on lots of different beliefs to see what they feel like. Now, this does a couple of things. One is it increases our empathy for other people who have those beliefs. So as an example, I was raised Jewish, but one day I decided to try on the belief Jesus is Lord, those who believe go to heaven and those who don't go to hell. Now, that's not a belief I'd ever tried on before. But as soon as I tried it on and experienced it, I realized, oh my God, this is what people feel when they go out proselytizing. They want to save these poor people who are going to hell. And so it gave me an understanding of that urge. They weren't just going around trying to beat people over the head. They were actually wanting to help other people. So that gave me more empathy for people who held that belief. And you can try on any belief. Like, it's great to be rich. Well, feel what that feels like. Or, you know, poverty is better than wealth that belief on. So if you become facile at trying on lots of different beliefs and see how they feel, how they make you feel, you'll gain an understanding for other people that are holding those beliefs and operating out of those beliefs. So there you go. It's a great exercise to do. I love that. I think that especially is so needed right now. Just I feel the division and it's something that since mid 2020, I'm like, that is what I'm going to work on within myself is to focus on oneness and instead of having resistance to other people, I'm going to have resistance to the idea of separation and and really try to understand other people rather than judge them for what they're feeling. So there's so many ways that we can do that with what we learned today, as well as, you know, going to the very root of some of the, our own patterns that maybe we're not even able to see that other people are judging us for. So thank you so much for bringing this wisdom and for all of the work that you've done in your life in order to compile it and really uh, receive guidance and, and teach other people. So for listeners that are interested in learning more and possibly working with you, where's the best place for them to connect? My personal website is liongoodman.com. That's lion with an L-I-O-N. Uh, and my story is there under articles if you, people want to read my story of near death. And also my coaching services are there. Um, the training that I do is called the Clear Beliefs Coach Training. And they can find out about that at clearbeliefs.com. And we offer a free monthly event where people identify their beliefs in a particular area. We've done one on money, one on love and relationships, one on sexuality, and we mix it up every month. And that's a free event. And they can register for those at beliefrelief.net. All the links for this episode will be at mindlove.com slash 278. 
your challenge for this week is to start getting clear on some of those limiting beliefs. And sometimes it's easier said than done, but then other times it's the opposite. You know exactly what beliefs you need to clear. So it really depends on what you are going through and how blind you are, no offense, to your own limiting beliefs. For me, there were some that I knew right away and others that I just couldn't see until I worked with somebody. But one of the questions I found that has been really helpful when I come across them in real time is just asking myself, well, what if I'm wrong? And this question can be in regards to beliefs about yourself or beliefs about the outside world. Because remember, not all limiting beliefs are just about you. It could be about what's possible in the world, what other people think of you, which is sort of about you, but also sort of about them. So just ask yourself, what if I'm wrong? That question at least puts a crack in that really thick shell of your belief. And don't just immediately start negating yourself, although that might be your tendency. Actually sit with that. What if I'm wrong? Let your mind flow. Also ask yourself, how is this belief serving me? Because when you see that the only thing that this belief is doing is holding you back, you might become less attached to it. And then the next step is around creating an alternative belief. Try a different one on for size. If your limiting belief is that you can't be promoted because women in your company don't get promoted, what if you change that belief to, this company has just been waiting to promote the right woman and I came in, shattered all of their preconceived notions about what women can or cannot do, and now they just can't not promote me. Just see what it feels like. And there's so many ways to do this. And in a minute, I'm going to tell you about a guided option for doing this as well. But first, if you loved this episode, please share it with somebody, maybe somebody else who's going through some issues with their own personal limiting beliefs, or take a screenshot and share it on social media. Flex a little bit. Show people the work that you're doing on yourself, the things that you fill your mind with. There's so many people out there that are just sharing their top Netflix binge, and then it sucks a bunch of other people into their Netflix binge. But what if you showed people what you are listening to and it sucked them into that? This is how we level up the world. Well, the best way to support Mind Love and also to get more deeply involved is by joining the brand new Mind Love membership. So I know that I've talked about Mind Love Premium before, and that's still there. That is the premium feed. You get ad-free episodes, you get early release. You also get a whole backlog of exclusive episodes. But I've recognized that people have been wanting a way to actually learn to embody some of the things that we learn on this podcast. There's a lot of listening that can be done, but sometimes it goes in one ear and out the other. Sometimes you forget it by next week. And so I've created the Mind Love membership to tackle just that problem and to help you embody the Mind Love principles. So every month there will be a new masterclass, sometimes two. These will be audio or video courses that will help you apply the most meaningful lessons to your life so you can create a life of purpose, a life that you can't wait to get up for. And this month we have some really exciting masterclasses. We have two and they are in two areas that have changed my life the most. First, understanding how I actually need to prime my mind before I make a big change. I used to just 
decide on a new habit, wonder why it wouldn't stick, then realize there's a little pre-work to be done. So there's a masterclass on that. And guess what? There is an entire module on clearing your limiting beliefs. So if you're pumped by today's episode, that is the best way to have a guided experience with me on clearing these beliefs for yourself. And there's also a masterclass with Amanda Crowell, who's an executive coach. She's an expert in deep transformation and finding the work that you are meant to be doing. And so there's a masterclass by her all about finding deep and meaningful work that is meant for you. You can find out all about the new Mind Love membership at mindlove.com slash membership. I hope to see you there. It's going to be so exciting. You can also find any of my sponsors at mindlove.com slash sponsors. And that's all for today. So thanks for giving your mind a little love today and I'll see you next week or inside the membership. Thanks for tuning into your higher frequency with Mind Love. Head to mindlove.com for a free gift to keep your vibes up until next week. 